Welcome to Sudbury Scrub, a 40k podcast for the Sudbury community, or actually really the Ontario community now, right? <laughs> Season 7. And today we've got another debate episode. Uh, I've really been enjoying these. I find that they're, they're a really great way to try to look at and understand some of the different challenges facing our hobby right now. And so today I am being joined by uh, Michael McEachran from North Bay, the North Bay Chapter Master, as I call him. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome, welcome back. Thanks. So, back. yeah, <laughs> uh, I find that you're uh, pretty much the main representative in the Sudbury region here for the North Bay region. You know, you've, you've been able to be really vocal for uh, that part of Northern Ontario and really saying, hey, look, we are part of this Northern Ontario community. Let's chat as a community. And so I think you've been pretty much uh, open arms has been the case here. You've really gone really involved with the hobby and I think it's been fantastic. In fact, uh, you even hosted the first Grinning Demon TTS tourney up here during the lockdown. Yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah. And so today yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was it was actually it was it was a little smaller because I mean a lot of people still have to kind of get used to TTS, but it was a great first uh, experience for it and just showing, hey, look, we can do this, folks. And so I'm looking forward to the next one, hopefully. Yeah, same. So the thing that we're going to be going over today, folks, in this uh, debate, we are going to be talking about third-party models and how they relate to our hobby because. There's a lot of options for these third-party models out there. I, I'm calling them third-party models, but it covers a whole range of things. We're talking about things that are, are 3D printing uh, a model that was scanned, and so it's like it's kind of like a recast. We're talking about recasts too, but then we're also talking about like things that are actually created by companies and sold, like things like Creature Caster, right? And so yeah, we're talking about uh, all those different aspects. We're talking even about uh, having you know, conversions of models, right? Where you start with one model and change it into something else. Uh, we're talking about tabletop simulator and having models that are not real models that you own, right? These are just things that you download. So we're gonna be covering, we're kind of covering a lot of ground, a lot of potential ground when we're talking about third party models. Um, so for this, I'm gonna be taking the position that against third-party models saying that hey you know you, you got to be really careful about including them or using them and Michael here has graciously volunteered to take the position for third-party models so again Mike thank you so much for taking for taking part in this yeah all right I think it's gonna be a fun conversation absolutely so let's kind of start at the beginning here and say generally speaking why is it that you think that third-party models are good for the game. Yeah, for sure. So, I think like a, a lot of things in, in this in this hobby, in particular, there, there's going to be there's obviously going to be pros and cons. But I think the ability for third-party models on all levels of the game, to some degree, bring in you know bring bring something to the table that GW alone doesn't. So one of those is you know a big part of the hobby in the game is kind of your your uniqueness and your the, you know the personality or the flavor of your army and sometimes that can be taken away by just having the stock gw models right and that's why you know conversions ended up being uh so popular in our hobby especially as you tend to get more into it um to a lot of people where they're not just buying models to Play, they're you know they're painting and they're enjoying that side of the hobby to a, a very big degree. I think 3D printing brings in a, a lot of stuff to the table there for bits or, or just you know in some cases complete replacements of a model. Uh, if you are on the side of being able to digitally sculpt, you can very easily create your your own models, which I've done and print them. And I you know I don't sell them, I don't give them out to people. They're they're my models and no one else will ever have those models. So I think that's kind of my stance on the hobby side real quick. And then on the gameplay side, I think it can definitely answer a lot of the problems that we have, particularly right now in, in stock demand. And it can 
bring people up to a level of competitiveness that maybe they weren't being able to reach before. You know, it really sucked to go and play a game. You're talking to your opponent, and they're saying, you know, oh, I wanted to play this list, but I literally couldn't find the models. And it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't have won that game if they were playing the list that they really wanted to. So I think right now, 3D printing and third party in particular um, helps answer a, a supply and demand. And I don't particularly, I'm going to say this back recasting, uh, as, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. And, and I think in, in the conversation more, but even recasting to a degree does answer that problem if we're just framing it on a competitive level. Yeah, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting that you bring up how, for so much of the hobby's history, conversions and creating even your own models has been uh, something that, like right now, is kind of drawing a lot of attention. But in the past was something that was actively encouraged by Games Workshop. Like if people look in some of the old codexes and some heck, there's even an old White Dwarf article that talks about, hey, land speeders, do you want to have a land speeder? Here's how you make one from uh, a deodorant stick. And it was like, yeah, well, this yeah, is I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what everyone kind of has in their mind because they almost everyone has seen that. And that used to be the status quo and if anybody wants to kind of research why games workshop doesn't really do that look up something called chapter house it had a huge impact on the the on the hobby uh, the hobby that you love and it kind of changed games workshops direction on everything from that point on and that that's where we saw a real change in that pattern but that was something that was there and now it's not now it's very different so i mean that's that's a really great point that uh, this is a part of the hobby, and so that's one of the reasons why you're really for it, is that, hey, this is something that we should be doing. Now, my side take on it, uh, is, from the generally speaking, why do I think they're not a good thing, is because fundamentally, my gripe with third-party models is that I believe that it can put our game at risk, right? The game only exists so long, really, as... Games Workshop continues to sell it or support it. And Games Workshop really only has three ways of producing revenue for the company. They do that by licensing their IP, by selling rules, and by selling models. And honestly, I think IP, the IP is, is worth probably the most out of all of those, yet it's only worth what it is because it's supported by the models and the rules. And those two things kind of have almost co-equal worth in my in my opinion. So take either way one of them and you really put at risk having the whole thing kind of topple over. So that's why I, I really want to say, hey, try to buy the actual GW stuff. So obviously though, this creates a lot of problems because here we've just kind of defined a loyalty to um, a product versus a loyalty to a hobby. And I think that creates this really challenging situation for a lot of people, kind of figuring out where, which side do I want to be on? Where, where do I fit in? Where do I want to be? What, what is right to do? And so we've kind of framed, we came up with a, a few questions to try to take a look at some of the differences, where they're acceptable, where they're not. Uh, the first one that we have here is, uh, what do you think the difference is between obtaining a third party model and say obtaining um, something else that's fake, like a fake Rolex. You know, why would these two things be equivalent, or why would they not be equivalent? What would the difference be? So, Mike, what do you feel on that? I think, um, I think talking about the, the subject this way is actually really interesting. So, I guess where I'll start with it is the easiest one-to-one -one comparison for, like, a real Rolex to a fake Rolex is generally unless it's a really bad fake Rolex, when you look at it, you're supposed to think that it's a Rolex. So for us, that for our conversation, that falls into the line of, for 3D printing and third-party scans and, and remodels and, and recasts, right? Mm -hmm. So those three things are 
are products that aren't coming from GW when they're supposed to look like they came from GW. Yeah, they're almost like meant to fool you. They're meant to make you think that once this is paint, uh, painted, how would I be able to tell the difference? Yeah, and I think for me, <laughs> this doesn't really follow away, but uh, that I'm actually against, to be honest. I don't think that is particularly healthy, except for what I was saying, maybe when you're answering a supply and demand level, and even then that's really only for talking about uh, like the competitiveness of the game. I think for as far as like the, the hobby and supporting you know local game stores, which probably aren't gonna be and shouldn't be selling those things, particularly uh, you know models that look like they're from GW but they're not GW. Um, I don't support that, and I would I would say they're bad for the for the game, uh, for the for the hobby and the lifespan of the game. <laughs> you know, they're kind of you're yeah you're kind of saying they're they're kind of bad for both of those. Though that's a situation where that you would say the two are almost equivalent. That getting a fake Rolex and getting a fake GW model, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, and I think just like a fake Rolex to a degree that. For other models, there's alternative ways to get something that isn't a straight ripoff of a GW model, right? Like, it will just go to 3D printing. There's a lot of people who sell models, even not even 3D printing, that replace a model in the GW line. Mm-hmm. But they're totally, like, when you look at it, you know. And they're meant to be that you know they're not that model. It's an alternative model, right? Um, and I think that is healthier than someone who just went, particularly recasters and scanners, and just took and, you know, lack of a better word, and pretty much stole the design that GW came up with. I um, I think that though that would be the line that I would go with, you know, if, say, I, there was a Demon Prince that I wanted. Uh, I don't think... I would go and buy a recast um, or a scan of the model. I would probably go the line of buying an alternative model and supporting the industry that way. Now, you made an interesting point. Which isn't the point. same as, as a fake Rolex, right? Yeah. Now, you did make an interesting yeah. point, though, as well. You're saying that there might be somewhere there along the competitive line of things that you feel that it might work out. And just kind of thinking in that sense, that one of the main differences between third-party models and fake Rolexes is that fake Rolexes aren't being brought to competitive events where people are, are judging them versus something else, right? They're not being used in, in, in a competitive environment, whereas uh, the third-party model is being used in that competitive environment. So did you want to expand on that here, or did you want to try to wait for a different spot yeah. to bring that up? No, we can talk about that here for sure. So I think one of the biggest things is we can actually look at two real-life examples, maybe even three, in the competitive scene right now. And the most recent you can look at is the drop of the Drakari Codex. So the Drakari Codex has a bunch of models where it's not even that they're no longer for, for sale per se, they just haven't been in stock for what feels like month. So if you're a Jukari player and you're excited for this new codex and you didn't have the models and say, uh, not COVID world, maybe there's a GT coming up. What are your options, right? Are you, are you just going to play a different faction? Are you going to play, um, potentially a significantly weaker list? You know, what are the, the routes you go then? To, to bring, you know, this is completely a competitive standpoint, where I'm not talking from like a moral standpoint of what's right or wrong here. We're talking about the competitiveness of the game and what you can bring for, for those strengths. That is when you look at that route and you're like, okay, I literally cannot get these models either at all or in time for the event. Um, then you are basically forced to go the route of getting them through another means, which generally means a third-party supplier, a, a recaster, or a 3D printing service. And I think for that, it kind of makes it makes sense again in the competitiveness of 
um, you know what I mean? Say I'm a, a Tyranids player and I want to run uh, two of the um, the Decacrons or wherever they are, the, the really big buggy guys that are really popular right now. You can't buy those. You probably won't be able to buy those for a really long time. Oh yeah, well those those are even those are I think you're talking about the Dimacarons. Those are even four tools. Yeah, you can't even buy that in store. That that's not an item that's available at all in store. Exactly. So you know what I mean? In, in those routes, if you were a Nitz player, and maybe even a long time Nitz player, you didn't have those models, and you want to represent your faction the best you can at, at an event, well, you know what I mean? That's basically your only option at this point. Yeah, I, I think, think that's where that fits in. I think that's that's an interesting question because I mean, like let's face it, there are times where models break that need replacing. Heck, the, or the heavy models that just aren't available, right? They're impossible to get. Um, you know, the heavy intercessor was definitely that way, right? Here was something in the book that just didn't have a model. Like we saw, we saw what it was going to look like. We knew what it was going to look like, but uh, it wasn't sold in in anywhere. And so people were saying, "Geez, we really hope." this model isn't good <laughs> because if it's good it's going to lead to these situations and I think it's very uh, it's towing a very close line with what happens uh, between like when we look at the past and we look at pirating activities in the past in history and how they've impacted things but we're gonna save that topic for a little bit later but yeah for myself I can understand the drive for competitiveness, but kind of like you said, morally, that kind of leaves that zone. Um, I think that's almost kind of saying that, you know, you're going to do it because I need to be competitive. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, I need to stay competitive, so I'm going to take steroids. You know, like, if it's wrong, it's wrong, right? And that's kind of thing. You're, you're driven towards doing it because you want to be competitive, but that doesn't necessarily make it the right thing to do. I actually uh, just add something to that point, <clears throat> just to play, I guess, devil's advocate. No, that's great. That's what we're here for. I love it. Yeah, um, and I say that because this is just—I don't know if I necessarily personally agree with it, but um, there's a there is a difference between that because the, in sports there's rules defined against like performance-enhancing drugs. That's true. And then, and then right now. For most events, because they're not hosted by James Workshop, there isn't <laughs> rules against using third-party models for the most part. You know what? I actually, I've, I, I love. I, you bring up James Workshop. I love the 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 advertisements that GW does with James Workshop. I think those are just the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, you're you're right. There's. The tournaments themselves usually do not define a requirement for that way, unlike uh, competitive events. One could make an argument that there is a rule in the rulebook saying that, you know, Game of Warhammer is played with Citadel miniatures, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, that gets into some other kind of complicated questions. Uh, like, uh, you know what? I kind of got to go back. I got to talk about Chapter House now. I didn't really want to talk about Chapter House because it's a huge topic, but I got to talk about it. So, for a little history recap for people listening, Chapter House was, uh, back in the past, like I said, GW used to do this thing where you could make your own models, they would design rules for things that didn't have models with the intention that you would create your own. And then uh, this one company, Chapter House Miniatures, uh, they started creating models for these rules without models. And GW got really pissed because somebody else here was making money and they weren't. And they said, they went to court and they said, this is a violation of our IP. But fundamentally the outcome came down to, well, GW, you didn't protect your IP. You created rules and you didn't create models. Therefore, that's open game. Now, it did end up in such a way that Chapter House no longer exists. Games Workshop won, but they won in a way that defined how they had to create things in the future. They had to, Design. Maybe they did, it wasn't a full victory, or maybe it was a, a out-of-court settlement, I don't know, but it did happen in that way. So that's why GW stopped doing that. But it extends to more things. Look at all these old HQ options that are now going out to pasture with, with Legends, right? Which is like, hey, uh, you know, Librarian on a Bike, 
not an option. Why? They don't sell it. Since they're not selling it, they can't have rules for it. So all those ones are kind of phased out. So that way somebody else can't come in and produce that item. But it could potentially go even further. I've been looking at GW and how they're selling things, and they're getting even to the point now where you've been seeing a lot fewer multi-posable models. In fact, it almost seems like you can only create models now in a singular pose, which I don't like. I like being able to pose my models and make them look different. What? Where does the delineation on that end, right? Where do you end having a model that is unique versus one that is quote-unquote legal by their rulebook. A model that has been converted, theoretically, is not no longer a, a Citadel model, as odd as that seems. And so, whereas I probably could make that argument, that, hey, the, the rules do define it, uh, I'd be really haphazard to ever want to try to enforce such a rule. I think such a rule would be a really bad thing to try to enforce because that's just not the direction that our hobby has ever taken. Yeah, for sure. Sorry for the big and long think, aside. It's it's a lot of history <laughs> that has to be, you have to kind of cover to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, and it falls in line with the conversation that we're having, right? But I mean, I think that even shows there, there's nobody that's firmly on one side or the other uh, because firmly on one side would mean what, right? It would mean you could only ever paint things the GW way, you could never really make your own chapters or anything like that. It's just not what people do. Yeah, and I think, like, just to go back to, like, that is, for the most part, for most people, not even in, uh, you know, COVID era, I think a lot of people spent more time building and painting and, and working on their models than playing. Absolutely. They felt... Yeah, like I play a lot, and um, uh, even then, I think I spend more time hobbying than I do playing. I, I think I I spent more on 40k this past year than on like any previous year, <laughs> and I was and I was barely even playing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's go to that next question then. Uh, what do you feel is the difference between obtaining a third-party model and creating a new model by means of conversion? Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll start this one off. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this one more time, and then we'll just we'll go with the assumption that I'm on this stance for a lot of these questions. I I think if it depends on if it's a, a scan or not, just because in the world of well, th this is this is definitely printing, not a scan. This is definitely not a scan uh, yeah. because so we're, we're talking, talking about like conversions. Like yeah, a whole new thing. Yeah, so like I think, a, um, I think a good example of this uh, would be I have a friend that he no longer had. He didn't, or he, either he did no longer had, or he didn't want to buy uh, the attack bikes, and so he took his existing bike models and he converted them into attack bikes. So he was able to create a, an attack bike. He was able to create a whole new model from an existing model. So that's that's okay. I think where we're kind of talking about here. For sure. So I think uh, I I think for me I'm gonna always talk about it from the hobby side and then. The, like a game competitive side so i think on the hobby side it would depend if we're completely creating all new models i would actually say that i think the barrier to entry to creating a unique model yourself digitally is way higher um but <laughs> you can do things that you would never be able to do with using bits for conversion Particularly, as you just said, with GW moving to more of a press fit format, where your, the models are casted and made in such a way that they're, they're monopose, and it's almost like they deliberately made it so they're hard to repose into to do a conversion on. Whereas, you know, if you're making something and then printing it or you're hiring someone and they're making it just for you you know that's completely different and it brings into a hobby of you know this is my model and no one else's model now i don't think that's the route most people are going to go unless you're a digital artist and you have the means to do that and then you can do some really really cool stuff uh, that you would never be able to do with conversions uh, i think anyways now, if we're talking third-party pieces for conversions, 
I really don't see a reason why you would be against that. So I'm interested in, in your your points. Uh, like if I took any of my models and uh, just bought a couple of bits to change them up, you know, you actually see this a lot with knights, where uh, particularly the Forge World knights, people will buy third-party bits and replace the shields, you know, replace their face, replace their weapons. I think, like, all all of that third-party market stuff just makes your models look cooler and makes them stand out. And it's just something you would, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know about you, but it gets kind of boring going and playing and just seeing the same models, particularly if they're uh, Ultramarine's thumb, you know what I mean? Like, the Ultrasmurfs over and over and over again, and you're just like, okay, uh, you know, there's some really good uh, Ultramarine armies out there. But after a while, they just all look the same to me. Whereas third-party conversion bits bring in a huge, huge catalog of bits that you can you can draw from and really make your army feel unique and stand out. So that's me on the hobby side. And then for the competitive side, I think for conversions, if you're converting for competitive sake, it actually falls into line with your example that you used. I think a lot of people for like for playing the game is what I'm gonna say. Uh, they convert because they either don't want to go out and buy the models, they, or they can't get the models, it's, such as the Heavy Intercessor. There was a lot of conversions going on with the Heavy Intercessor. Mm-hmm. And for that, you know, it actually falls into line with what I was saying is, you know, we're not talking about scanning and completely remaking a model here. We're talking about buying third-party bits from, from whatever means and using those, I believe, alongside part of GW bits, I imagine, to, to create a model. And for me, like, I think it's the same, the same answer, right? Like, if you, like, if I, you know what I mean? Or even, uh, well, I, I know what you're, is it, like, you, Devast- Devastator squads? Like, if you yeah. wanted a whole unit of, uh, you know, Last Cannon or Melted Devastator squads, like, how many boxes would you have to buy? Yeah. You just buy one box and then you buy, get the bits via a third party. Doesn't really matter what that means in the end, but then you're good to go. And most of your model is still GW, right? Yeah. No, you know what, I, I think that is pretty much, like kind of like what you said, that is where the major difference is, is the question of, are you modifying an existing Games Workshop model versus are you just buying a new model outright, a third-party model outright? If Yeah, so like the Heavy Intercessors, if you are saying, okay, well, I have my, I bought extra Eradicators, and now I'm going to print off, or I'm going to steal bits from something else i'm going to modify this model that now like is in gravis armor and but he's not he's not carrying a melting and he's carrying these other things uh i think you're, you're still doing the right thing because you are still supporting you know your local store you're still supporting the, the business you're still uh supporting the hobby you're still effectively keeping those uh, a real model in distribution as opposed to uh, creating a whole new model or, or obtaining one, like I said, in one of those other ways, in which case you have now removed a possible model from from circulation. So to me, I, I find that's kind of where the delineation lies, right? You can create and modify a model to be something else, and I think that's cool and that's kosher and that's good, and hopefully you do it in a way that looks good, versus you're creating something entirely new and that's a sale that GW can now no longer make. So that is that's that's kind of the question. Is it is it money in the door or is it money out of the door? And I feel that's where the difference between those two lies. Yeah. And the interesting thing about it too is um I've seen whole armies that are converted, but a good like you would argue, you know, the base of the model is, is GW. Now, are we going to look at... I, I kind of felt like this might have been carryover from our, our Rolex, but if you're looking at a whole mar- whole army that would maybe be custom converted, but what it ended up being was maybe completely 3D printed, you know what I mean? Is where, where, like, I guess the question would be, where would that fall in? Uh, there was uh, actually an example I was going to bring up for that one. That was kind of the question of uh, tissue paper versus Kleenex. Or... 
uh, Blackberry versus, well, I think, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna, maybe I'm going to save that one for the next question there. But yeah, uh, tissue paper versus Kleenex. Both of them are, are functionally identical. We tend to call Kleenex Kleenex though, right? And we tend to call all tissue papers Kleenex, even though that's not the case. It can be really hard to kind of delineate between the two, and it's just that question of, do you care about what happens to Kleenex? Or do you only care about tissue paper? It's pretty hard to find an emotional connection to Kleenex. But gosh darn it, if those commercials don't try. <laughs> um, but that's it, like, right? There's, there's no functional difference. And that's the case for GW as well with some of these things, is that do you care about GW? Do you care about um, that part uh, of the hobby, about the hobby existing in that way? If you do, then you want to try to include, you want to try to do something in a way that you, you need to have the model, or at least the base of the model. You need, you need to have help support it in some way. If not, you are buying tissue paper, right? You're buying a total copy rather than a uh, the thing that, that supports the company that you need to support. And that's, of course, another question of do you actually need to support GW? But again, something we'll get into later. All right, next question up. And I, I like these ones, because these ones are all looking at that same question, but from a different, slightly different way. Uh, what's the difference between obtaining a third-party model and with buying a unique sculpt from a company like CreatureCaster? And I think I'll kind of start on this one, because I do I do love the CreatureCaster models. Uh, I think they look really great. I think the, the demons that they produce are just stunning quality, and they really give a flavor that for a long time wasn't present in a lot of the GW models. Like, it, it, say you like Zinch, but you don't really like the whores, or, and you don't really like the birds, but you love the idea of Zinch. Well, Creature Caster has some options for you that are totally unique and very different, and really kind of capture that mutated, ever-flowing, changing feel without being a GW model. And I find this one is really, really challenging because, again, you are, are you putting money into the company? Are you taking money away from the company? But arguably, because it is such a unique and well-done product, you're still kind of supporting. Again, you're supporting the IP, but again, that's then kind of argue, arguably, that company is stealing that IP. It's a challenging spot, and I have to say, this is one that I don't really have uh, a firm answer on or a firm stance, because I love these models, and yet, for me to take kind of the stance that I'm taking kind of precludes me from being able to support it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I love it, but if I want to be diehard, where does your money go? Then that would kind of say, well, guess what, Dave? You can't ever buy it then. You know, and I, I this is this is one where I'd say if somebody else wants to buy it, they want to support it in that way. I think it's phenomenal because they are so cool and they are so good, and I've seen them painted up wonderfully, and they made me feel great. Um, but I don't think I can do it for myself. Yeah, I think for me, this is going to be an interesting one because I think we're going to end up seeing like eye, eye to eye on it in in a, a lot of ways like obviously for me i couldn't care less if someone had or had it like had it in their armory or didn't where i don't think i would ever deny someone the game or forfeit a tournament for for moral reasons or whatever it, but i think where it might draw the line is if your whole army was third party that would be um, it would kind of be a feel bad that'd be interesting yeah and particularly the, the feel bad is, and maybe it's just my fault for spending the money, I guess, is like if your whole army is GW, because typically now Creature Caster, because of the way they make their models, and they probably pay their sculptors a pretty good, you know, pretty good penny. I understand they're a good company. Well made. Yeah. They, um, you know, they, those, their, their models aren't what I would call cheap. <laughs> you know what I mean? If we go into the realm of 3D printing, you can 3D print a lot of models for 50 cents. But the difference is, is there's a supportive ecosystem there when we're talking about purely, you know, a, a company like Creature Caster. 
so I think on that end, um, it, it would feel a little bit different. It's like a, a, every level of the hobby and for, the, you know, like the, the game, I don't really see an issue with them. I think, uh, I think that, like, what kind of sums up my feelings a bit on this is I think you could support Creature Caster and you're still supporting the hobby, whereas, um, you know, just getting a, a pure re-sculpt, you're not really supporting the hobby? I don't know. It's You are, like I said, you're kind of supporting that IP. It's almost like if you want to frame it, Apple versus BlackBerry, which both of them are smartphones, and if you supported smartphones, you would buy them. Uh, BlackBerry was the first one to come out. In that case, this is kind of like Games Workshop, right? But then I, Apple produced what would arguably, just by how the market de determined it, uh, arguably was a, a, a superior product. And so people bought more Apple iPhones, and that came to dominate the marketplace. And, uh, and there are other competitors out there, too. So if, if your main thing was having smartphones, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to go for whichever one I consider to be superior. Whereas with... Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of the same thing here for Creature Caster and Games Workshop. You can kind of support overall the hobby. You you are supporting um, having these cool models and this IP and playing these games, but in but fundamentally, you're not supporting Games Workshop, right? And so that again, it kind of comes down to that question of, of who do you want to support? Which do you want to support more? I don't necessarily think a sale to Creature Caster or another um, company like Creature Caster necessarily means a lost sale to GW. Here's my reasoning. I think there is models that people like that they will buy because they like the model. This is not for the sake of the game, it has nothing to do with the rules, the strength of the model uh, on the tabletop. It's purely because they look at the model and they're like, you know, dang, that looks like a really cool model and it's equivalent in GW. Maybe they don't feel bad for. Yeah. Um, again, uh, not to, uh, it feels like we have a hate train going on for Demon Princes. <laughs> well, but, it's because uh, what it's know. what they do so well, right? They they do they their yeah. demon prince models are just fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah, in particular, just because we're talking about this company, like like what like what are your options for a Slanesh demon prince? Uh, you buy the one model and you paint it pink, and that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you know, at least Nurgle, they have a kit. I hate that kit personally, but at least they have it. You know, I mean, a lot of the other ones, particularly if I'm for the demon line, um, they're just lacking, like, that customized model feel, where you look at the model, and other than the paint job, you're like, yeah, that is from that faction. And you can kind of look at it for, for marines and captains and lieutenants that aren't named if you want them to feel like they're, you know, Space Wolf or Blood Angels or Dark Angels or, or from any other chapter, you're probably looking at a third-party company to step in if GW doesn't already provide the kits to do the conversion or the bit swap for Well, arguably, even on the topic there of Chapter House, right, and saying models or rules without models, uh, they have a Demon Prince model, and they have a Nurgle Demon Prince model. They do not have a Zinch Demon Prince model, a Corn Demon Prince model, or a Slanesh Demon Prince model. Arguably, those are rules that don't have corresponding models. Yeah. Totally like, arguable. Of course, that yeah, then also kind of says that you have... fits into there. Yeah. yeah. That, supposedly, though, you also have, like, a, then a model that has no rules. Like, there is... You can't just have a Demon Prince uh, it, well, it, it, actually, I shouldn't say it. You, you do dedicate it, but then they there are separate ones. Like, in the Thousand Suns Codex, there is a Zinch Demon Prince, which is which is different from a Demon Prince with the Mark of Zinch. Yeah, so I think that's where I, I would argue. There's probably way more examples we're just not thinking of. Yeah, but, it's, but, it, but you're saying it's not... You're not taking away money necessarily from Games Workshop because hey, these models are so nice, you might end up buying them anyways, and then just, like, maybe not even playing with them, because you just like them. And then it's like, well, you know what, I have this, I'm going to play with it, but that's a different kind of thing. And I have to admit, 
Like, there are models that I have that I don't have the army for and I don't play with. I have Rubo Gulliman because I'm a total sucker for Primarchs. I love them. I think they're great. And I almost started buying into getting the Forge World ones just to collect and paint all of them because they have all the Primarchs. I do not own any 30k. I do not own any Ultramarines. It's just not something I do. So, like, yeah, in, in this case, that was money that went to Games Workshop. But I've looked at these Creature Caster models and I've been, you know, I kind of want to buy this one. I don't know if I'll ever play with it. I kind of just want to buy it, though, because it just looks really cool, and I'd love to paint it up and kind of put it on display. And that's, like you said, that would not be a lost sale for Games Workshop in that case, because that's a sale they would never make. Like, literally, they could never make, so it's not a stolen sale from them. Yeah, and I think uh, if you were trying to make those fall in line without overlapping maybe some of the other conversations we've had, I think that is the one thing that I would really highlight there is... I believe that in quite a few cases, they're, they bring up models that maybe they you can use rules for from GW, but uh, you know, you're probably just going to buy that model because it's so freaking cool. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on. I think this is the last one of these, like, what's the difference ones. But I mean, like I said, they're just so interesting. Uh, lastly, what do you feel is the difference between obtaining a third-party model and playing with an electronic version of that model, like through Tabletop Simulator. So I guess I'll start this one off. So as I guess, you know, and some people might know, I actually play a ton of PTS. And I think the biggest thing is, like uh, when you use a model in TTS, it's not tangible, right? You don't own it. Everyone, for the most part, has access to the same models, uh, the exact same models, and there's no price wall or quantity wall behind them whereas for these third-party models or gw models there all of those things still exist in some shape or form right these yeah exactly like you know i mean you're never and maybe that's where third-party models do come in yeah is you know i mean you're gonna go buy like what was that like 10 20 piece of nurgle at 60 dollars a pop and then you own them yeah, then, then you, then like what happens when they're not maybe good. Will. I, <laughs> I'd have to really like that model to, uh, to go, to go and do that, right? Yeah. So I think that the difference is, is I, I think the, the closest you can bring it, and that's assuming you already own the 3D printer, is 3D printing models. Just because it's so darn cheap to 3D print a model. And even then, you know, you got to look at like that, the, you own it, the tangibleness of it, right? Like I actually find it, I was really, when I read this, interested to see what your thoughts were going to be on it because I find it really hard to com- to compare them. It's the same as, I feel the same way if we want to do kind of something similar to our genre as like Magic the Gathering in real life and Magic the Gathering or, or Hearthstone online. You know, they're, the car itself, depending on how the game works on an online variant, may hold value. But for TTS, you don't have to buy them. There's no sense of purchasing the model. It's just someone has gone, recreated it digitally, and put it up for everyone to use. What was that? Uh, what was that? That um, program called, where before the newer, before the newer Magic. Uh, program, mag- not even Magic Online, whatever it's called now, um, there was this one program that you could pretty much do the same thing, where it was like TTS in the sense that it, you could electronically kind of create any deck in it. You could even create custom cards and run it in this program because uh, it, it wasn't, you know, real, right? And it was whatever you wanted yeah. to do. Um, and there was still Magic Online, but, uh, you know, Magic Online that was all still going towards Wizards of the Coast. All that money was headed towards there. And you know what, Magic, it's weird to bring in Magic Online with this because remember, with Magic Online, if you got a complete set of cards for a set, you could actually trade in those cards through Magic Online to get those cards in real life. Does the Magic Arena work that way? Magic Arena does not work that way. Yeah, you have to buy the, I mean, so you, 
for this discussion, I guess there is a big difference because when you're playing uh, like Magic Arena, the sale is still going to Wizards of the Coast in some shape or form. Uh, whereas like TTS, they, it I isn't. imagine there's people who only play TTS and don't own Warhammer at all in real life. And then, so in that case, they're literally playing the game that Games Workshop has put out without contributing to Games Workshop at all. And uh, but I don't really, we're not really talking about those people, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of like, well, well, that, that's kind of the thing. That's that's the whole question of like, where do, does this line lie? Because it's a challenging one for sure. Yeah. I mean, for myself, looking yeah. at it, it's the main difference between the two is that in Tabletop Simulator. Even if you play the game, you're missing out on a big part of the game. I think we've we've all seen through TTS that TTS is really good. TTS is really nice, but it's not a substitute. Like I should say, it is merely a substitute. It's it's not the preference. The preference is to still play in real life, and that's the main reason why I think you know Tabletop Simulator is nice. It's a good way to be able to kind of get together and still do this during the pandemic in a way where you can't otherwise normally do it. Uh, but even then, like a lot of folks in our community have been saying, hey, let's just try to play with models that we own. Because uh, again, that's kind of encouraging that uh, that part of the hobby of, hey, I, I'm, I can't actually play in person, but I'm still going to collect the models right now, right? Uh, yeah. As opposed to somebody that. that's like, gets together, 20 beasts of Nurgle that don't even exist, that they haven't even put together or assembled, they haven't done anything to have it, but online it's like, well, I can play with whatever silly combination of models that I want because I don't actually need to own it. And in my experience, uh, those people exist. There's tons of them. But I, uh, especially for the online events, I find the people that, you know, I've made it to the finals of a, of a few online events, the people that you end up playing higher up, almost always, if you ask them, say what you just said. They're playing an army they own. Because I think the people who are passionate enough about the game to really do the research and, you know, get get good at the game, honestly, because it is a lot of work, they're going to own it. They're going to own the models, and they're playing an army to practice it for hopefully one day soon, being able to go and play these it's these physical tournaments, right? Whereas the people who, in my experience, that are just taking the models and then playing an army are usually like bandwagoning on something. Or, which actually this is my defense since it kind of falls into it, they're trying out an army that they saw do well at a GT and they want to understand why it did well. And I think, and I think actually, that's a good, that is, that's a great difference there as well, is that you know, this is a, a, a way that you can try out models without actually having to own models. And let's be honest, there's almost nothing to stop you from doing that in real life. Say, hey, buddy, uh, you know, my friend that has this army, I really want to try that army out. Can I borrow your army and play with it? I'm not buying any models while I'm doing that. I'm not contributing yeah, just... to Games Workshop doing that. I'm literally just borrowing these things to try it out. And uh, yeah, that's something that's totally proxy, right? yeah, proxy. Yeah. So I think I think there probably is some things you could draw on for that, but it would have to be the people that I think just are only playing TTS and not playing the game at all. And I would say that the issue probably isn't necessarily that it's replacing the GW model as per se that they're not contributing to Games Workshop or Warhammer 40k in at, like, at, all, at all, right? Yeah. You know, they're playing it on a game that they probably paid 10 to $20 for using mods that, you know what I mean, that people made or offering for free. And unfortunately, the dark side of TTS is a lot of people don't even end up buying the rules. They end up using... It's a total free to... It's a total free play system. Yeah. Not even free yeah, to play where, where, yeah, you know, ad revenue yeah. at least would be going to them. Just, no, it's a total, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know yep. what? Let's also take a look. Um, one of the plus sides of this also could be that just kind of like how Battlescribe kind of probably pushed, Battlescribe and other things like that probably really pushed Games Workshop into, okay, we really got to make our own version of this. It took them a long time to do, but they did it. 
they, they've done it and it's not half bad still got a ways to go <laughs> but uh, you know what this might end up doing the same thing for the gaming side of the hobby as well where I wouldn't be surprised if in I mean most companies I'd say five years GW I'll say maybe 15 years <laughs> Kings Workshop has an on their own online version that you can play I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be totally surprised if they did that yeah and I was gonna bring that up I know we have a question that's kind of around that coming up so there's a couple times I was gonna bring that that up but I was waiting for that part of the discussion but yeah I think I think GW's answer to a lot of the things we're talking about will end up being you know that they just sell their IP because there's gonna be no other way to, to stop it right like it would be um, and in some cases a massive legal battle that they may not win to go after but like all, all of these things that we kind of talked about, it's an uphill battle for sure. It is. It absolutely is. Um, and actually, you know what? I think that really segues well then into the next kind of question, which is talking about the future of third-party models in Games Workshop. Because like we've seen these challenges happen in the past, right? And uh, I, I kind of know which one I think it fits into right now. But which of these three do you think best defines the current situation of Games Workshop? Is it Blockbuster versus the Pirate Bay? Is it Blockbuster versus Netflix? Or is it LimeWire versus iTunes? I think it's Blockbuster versus Netflix for the majority of it. So I think the biggest turning point is it's not just cost, but it's ease of access. Mm -hmm. So. And I know that's that's what a lot of people are doing, especially right now, just because the supply chain for GW is so poor. But if we look at Blockbuster versus Netflix, Netflix in its prime was really cheap for what you got, and you got it basically instantly. It was the ultimate answer to to the you know the the ecosystem that was Blockbuster in in renting things right you go to the rental store uh you know a lot of times the thing you want was or the game wasn't there or they didn't have like they didn't have it at all i actually don't even remember how much it was to rent it's been so long but you know it wasn't exactly on the cheaper side and then netflix came out and it was like well ten dollars you know you get everything that we have and uh, that way people still get a you know a slice of the pie but now you don't have people doing what they were doing before, which was, you know, mass pirating things. Um, and I think it goes to show people still pirate, but I know that the online streaming service and those becoming so big ended up really, really hampering pirating. Oh, they, they did. It did more to stop the illegal market of, of pirating movies and stuff like that than actually, like, Try, you tried to crack down on things like the Pirate Bay, right? And then just two more would pop up, right? It, w it was a hydra, right? You cut off one head, two more take its place. That was it. Um, but with Netflix, it was it was kind of that thing of like, okay, well, we're not going to worry about the people pirating. We're going to address the root cause, which is people aren't getting the access to the things that they want at a price that they're willing to pay. And that's why... And I get, like, I get the concept of Blockbuster versus Netflix there, because GW feels like they're kind of stuck in the past, and hey, this future's coming, and you better be ready for it. Um, I, think, I think they are stuck in the past, for sure. I I feel like I, it's kind of a toss-up between block. Okay, the situation I worry about is it's Blockbuster versus Pirate Bay, simply because, again, that, that whole thing of the Hydra's head... Games Workshop is kind of stuck in a situation where if they keep their existing model as it is, uh, they can keep trying to fight off this Hydra by cutting off heads, but that doesn't change the root problem. What I hope is that Games Workshop puts themselves into the LimeWire versus iTunes, where the, the, the pirates and third-party recasts and stuff like that are LimeWire, and GW can be iTunes by being ready to change things around. There's a future, obviously, in 3D printing, Games Workshop will have to at some point say, hey, we are going to license 3D prints. So you get access to our our range, 
but you pay this licensing fee for you to access it. And I think people would be really fine with doing something like that or other things, uh, other things of that nature. So I, I think it could be a, a pop, uh, it could be a toss up between the two, one of which I, I'm hopeful for and one of which I'm worried it actually is. I think TW is already starting to combat some of this in that I've noticed in particular some of their newest sculpts are there's no there's like I have a pretty good 3D printer um just from being like a, a digital artist I really like creating and, and printing things it's not to you know mass pirate stuff but like some of these models that are coming out even if I was good enough which I'm not to model at the level that they can my printer couldn't make that model it wouldn't look like it does some of the stuff they do you can easily you know easily replace with 3d modeling but i noticed that i don't know if it's something they're going out of their way to purposely do particularly um valacor the first demon prince right he, like he's amazing and i mean as far as like the cheap end 3d printing it and finding a model that looks that good i think you would spending a lot of money just to have a machine that could produce that bomb. I was just going to say, yeah, the, the wingspan on him is so huge that to print him in, in one print would be an extreme challenge. And, at the very least right now, having a high-end printer that can print something with that level of detail is also really expensive. It's still, it's still quite rare. We still have a few other questions. I know we're over an hour here, but I'm using a new software that I should be able to do over an hour long episodes without much of an issue <laughs> all right uh so i think we kind of uh already touched oh we did already kind of touch on the whole question of about a product something being out of production you know not available any longer you know or even old sculpts right like what do you do do you find that it's an okay thing to do if uh there's a really old sculpt that just looks awful but you also like well i already own this why should i have to buy a new one like say you own the original Gaskell, and I mean the original Gaskell. <laughs> he's a peep, he's a pipsqueak. It's compared to even like an orc knob now, right? He's he's not he's not imposing at all. Uh, legally in the game, you can run him as Gaskell, which is insane. Whereas obviously the real Gaskell model that all of us think of now is that big hulking monstrosity. Uh, what do you do? You find that that is a situation where it's okay to get uh, a three D, uh, a third party model. Yeah, I think so. Like, if GW is even offering the model anymore, then like, how else are you going to get it, right? Unless you want. I guess the whole thing is you could argue the opposite of like honoring the spirit of, you know what I mean, it being a, a collectible. I, I guess, but I don't know. I find that uh, I guess Warhammer isn't necessarily always that way. Yeah, like I think, I think in the reverse, if you if you want to get a model that's out of stock and not coming back, like I said, if you wanted to get the old Gaskell, I think it'd be totally fine to get it from whether it's a 3D print, a recast, whatever. It's not something that GW sells anymore. It's fair game. Um, but in the case of a new model, right? So you have the old one. It's like, well, I don't want to. I don't want to field him as the new one. Well, you should then get the new one. Is kind of how I feel. Because kind of like yeah, you were saying for I... Creature Caster, it's like you're buying a, a centerpiece model now. You're not just buying it. You're buying it to look good. Well, in the case of Creature Caster, you're saying, well, I'm buying it to look good because the Creature Caster one just looks good. But here, it's the Games Workshop one that just looks good. So get it too, right? That, that's that's the thing. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, let's see. Is there... Oh, okay. Replacement parts for models. Or even percentage. Because I think this one's a, a really... Uh, kind of fair argument for myself you know I'm saying hey hey you can make uh, a new model out of an old model and that's fine right but then kind of you get into that next logical question of is there an acceptable threshold for replacing parts of an original games or trouble right like do you if, if that's the basis that you're gonna argue on Right? If that's if that's the the hill you want to die on, uh, such as I've been I've been saying, <laughs> what hill do I want to die on? Like, does a model have to be fit at least fifty percent Games Workshop, seventy five percent Games Workshop, twenty percent Games Workshop? Like, 
oh, look, I have this original head. And then I bought an entire rest of the model for it. Like, is that, would that be fine? Um, in my case, I find that's a really, really tricky one. Because that whole question, for me, I think it's kind of like, what part of the model is indispensable? Like, enough, kind of like how Games Workshop almost does it themselves, right? Where they will, for multi-part or multi-posable models, uh, they'll sell you enough to make as many models as what they indicate on the box and although there's more you could that's in the box that's in the box you can't create new models out of that so I don't I think for myself off the top of my head I'm thinking of my Gene Stewart cultists the neophytes they come with 10 pairs of legs I think that's usually the case it's usually the legs Games Workshop says don't nope, that's as many legs you get and no more but you can get more chess pieces and stuff like that well uh, I think that's kind of the case here is if, if you are creating a new model off an old model it has to be something indispensable for that model to be. So you can't take like, well, I got a Space Marine chest and arms and say, well, he's just coming out of hole in the ground. That's why you don't see his legs. I think that that's a situation where if you see something like that, kind of like what in the debate I had with, with Justin, where we were talking about battle ready and how it's like, well, it's really hard to ex exactly define it, but you know when you see it. I think we're kind of in that situation here. It's really hard to define when a model is enough Games Workshop, but at the same time, you know it when you see it. And I think what you just said is the key thing, is you know it when you see it. If you look at a model and you don't know what that model is, you're obviously not within the, in this, for this anyways, an acceptable threshold for like a conversion or replacing parts, right? Like for example, my Chaos Bond. When you look at my Chaos Bond, you don't really notice a Chaos Bond. Like a GW Chaos Bond, because they don't look anything like a GW Chaos Bond. Whereas, because I guess this would go toward, towards conversions, right? This, this uh, At the same time, I w part. when I see your Chaos Bond, I immediately said, those look exactly like what I think they are. They look like Chaos Bond. Like, they may yeah, not look like GW look... Chaos Bond, but I immediately recognize that they are Chaos Bond. So I think I think that would be where I would lie. I don't think there has to be, like, a, per a percentage per se. But if you're doing a conversion of sorts where you're replacing parts, I think you still have to be able to look at that and say, oh, like, that was obviously an intercessor. Mm -hmm. That it, it, it is what it looks like it is. Lastly... And I think this is a good one to kind of cap off our discussion, because I think a lot of what we've said has kind of just beat around the bush on this topic. Uh, what responsibility do we have uh, to the hobby, to the game, and to our local store? So I think for me, for, for my side of things, like I'm all for uh, third party and three printed models in bits, I think it has to be within a healthy threshold, right? So I don't necessarily know if I personally would create an entire army that didn't have a single GW model in it to play 40k or any GW game. I mean, at that point you're probably still buying rules, but I don't really think that's healthy for the hobby. And more importantly, even if you say screw GW, I don't think that's healthy to your local store. I think that would be the dickest move ever to bring a, a third-party model that they don't even sell at the store or a completely 3D-printed army to your to a local store and say the store is hosting the, at the event, per se, and then you're playing it there. I don't think that's the move to, to make, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, even if you, you're like, oh, GW is a massive giant, they're posting profits higher than they've ever posted, your local store probably isn't, and that's who you're hurting the most in the end, I think, is, is your local gaming store by doing something like that. Um, and, and I 100% I, I agree with that. And you know, in, when Doug, when I had the chance to interview Doug, and that was, I, I felt was really good chance to kind of see some of that business aspect of it and kind of really think from that angle that's entirely where my feelings lie with that is that hey number one you got to support your store without your store chances are the hobby just doesn't exist 
Like it is just yeah. so, so hard to get together with people otherwise. Maybe a bit different now in the after the age of, of after the plague. <laughs> but even then, like even online you hear from people saying, like, oh, I don't know where to, who to play against. I don't know anybody in my area. And it's like, well, go to your store, just meet people there. And when the person says, I can't, then my closest store is like two hours or three hours away because I live in like Moussini or something like that. Um, that shows the importance of that store. And you don't want to remove that, from that, that potential for people to grow, to find out about your community, to join in and take part of it. So that's gotta be kind of your number one priority. And if you're taking care of the local store, guess what? The rest kind of follows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of right. I think to summarize it for, for me is, I think, like, I think using third party 3D printed models with your print, like bits, all of that stuff is okay. It just has to be done in moderation. Yes. That's a great way to put it. As my grandmother would say, everything in moderation. She is a wise woman. <laughs> well, Mike, I really have to thank you for joining me on this again today. I've really loved doing these uh, debates. I've got more of them lined up with other folks as well. So keep paying attention to the scrub for some more of those. If you have ideas for other things you want me to uh, cover and chat with, with people, especially if you have a strong opinion on something you know a lot of other people don't share that opinion with, I want to have you on here to talk about some of these things because uh, it affects all of us in ways that you know many people are not even aware of it so having that sharing of understanding i think is going to be is just so good it's so great and thank you again for for helping for this because you carried that other side of it there's a lot there that you know i didn't really consider like that was being even considered uh by the 3d printing community and so i'm really glad i got you as a, as a vocal proponent of doing it in a responsible way yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thank you very much to everyone else out there. Keep on wargaming. And if you're printing those models, keep printing them well. Take care. <laughs>